0: Hey there, is it Monday already? Well, I guess so, which means it is time for another thrilling installment of From the Top, a podcast where I, Jake Lewis, host extraordinaire, I'm probably just tooting my own horn now, reads to you a chapter from a YA, that is young adult for those not in the know, or middle grade novel, commenting along the way as I go. Every once in a while, I'll throw in some other fun feature. You got to listen to find out what that is. And uh, I'm really glad that you're joining us today. This is a good one. So sit back, relax, and away we go. So what book have I picked out for you today? Well, this week, we are going Old school. And by old school, I mean a book that came out even before I was born. Yes, it is that old. It was first published in 1967. Can you believe it? And it's called From the Mixed Up Files of Mrs. Basil E. Frankweiler. What a name! I'm not talking about just the title. I'm just talking about that character's name, Mrs. Basil E. Frankweiler. That is a literary name if there ever was one. Uh, This was written by E.L. Konigsberg, which is another mouthful to say uh, E.L. Konigsberg uh, is a two-time Newbery Medal winner. Newbery Medal is an award given yearly for middle grade young adult novels. And uh, I hope you enjoy this because this was one of my favorites from when I was but a wee lad. And uh, it begins with a letter. Okay, so in, in some books, you will see that there is a prologue, which is kind of like an introduction, or just might say introduction, or in this case, it doesn't say anything, it just starts. And uh, here's what the letter says. To my lawyer, Saxenberg, I can't say that I enjoyed your last visit. It was obvious that you had too much on your mind to pay any attention to what I was trying to say. Perhaps if you had some interest in this world besides law, taxes, and your grandchildren, you could almost be a fascinating person. Almost. She doesn't sound very nice, does she? The last visit was the worst bore. I won't risk another dull visit for a while, so I'm having Sheldon, my chauffeur, deliver this account to your home. I've written it to explain certain changes I want made in my last will and testament. A will and testament, by the way, is what someone writes in the event that they die, it tells others who gets to keep their stuff. You'll understand those changes and a lot of other things much better after reading it. I'm sending you a carbon copy. I'll keep the original in my files. For, for those who were probably born after 1967, a carbon copy was how they made copies of papers back then. It would be a, a few different pieces of paper, thin paper, uh, one on top of the other. And so if you would write on the top copy, it would go through to the other copies, and that's how you would make a copy. I'll keep the original in my files. I don't come in until much later, but never mind. You'll find enough to interest you until I do. You never knew that I could write this well, did you? Of course, you don't actually know yet, but you soon will. I've spent a lot of time on this file. I listened, I investigated, and I fitted all the pieces together like a jigsaw puzzle. It leaves no doubts. Well, Saxonberg, read and discover Mrs. Basil E. Frankweiler. So if you're reading this for the first time and you're like, what is she talking about? That's intentional. You're not really supposed to know what she is referring to, this Mrs. Basil E. Frankweiler. The only thing that you kind of take from this is that she is writing to her lawyer, whose name is Saxonberg. She is not happy with him. And that she is now sending him the story that we are about to read, which will hopefully explain things to him. So that's really the, the important stuff. And after you finish reading this book, if you go back to look at this letter here in the beginning, it'll make a lot more sense because now you'll know what she is talking to. So the rest of the book is sort of a flashback. OK, it's it's what happens before she writes this letter. So, let's go now to chapter one. Chapter one. Claudia knew that she could never pull off the old-fashioned kind of running away, that is, running away in the heat of anger with a knapsack on her back. She didn't like discomfort. Even picnics were untidy and inconvenient. All those insects in the sun melting the icing on the cupcakes. Therefore, she decided that her leaving home would not be just running from somewhere, but would be running to somewhere. To a large place, a comfortable place, an indoor place, and preferably a beautiful place. And that's why she decided upon the Metropolitan Museum of Art in New York City. One thing we learn about Claudia right away is that She has run away before, but in those times as she has run away, she hasn't run away with anywhere specific in mind. She doesn't like the outdoors. I hear you. I'm, I'm one of those people too. And so this time she's going to run away to somewhere comfortable. And so she chooses an art museum in New York city. She planned very carefully. She saved her allowance and she chose her companion. She chose Jamie, the second youngest of her three younger brothers. He could be counted on to be quiet, and now and then, he was good for a laugh. Besides, he was rich. Unlike most boys his age, he had never even begun collecting baseball cards. He saved almost every penny he got. But Claudia waited to tell Jamie that she had decided upon him. She couldn't count on him to be that quiet for that long. And she calculated needing that long to save her weekly allowances. It seemed senseless to run away without money. Living in the suburbs had taught her that everything costs. She had to save enough for train fare and a few expenses before she could tell Jamie or make final plans. In the meantime, she almost forgot why she was running away, but not entirely. Claudia knew that it had to do with injustice. She was the oldest child and the only girl and was subject to a lot of injustice. Perhaps it was because she had to both empty the dishwasher and set the table on the same night while her brothers got out of everything. Well, that doesn't seem fair, does it? And perhaps there was another reason more clear to me than to Claudia. Oh, hold on a second. We just found out that someone else is telling this story. I'll read that to you again. And perhaps there was another reason more clear to me than to Claudia. We can safely assume, maybe, that it's Mrs. Basil E. Frankweiler. Because remember, in that letter in the introduction, she said that she's going to write the story of whatever happened. And that's what she is sending to her lawyer. So that me, the person telling this, might be Mrs. Basil E. Frankweiler. As opposed to just some you know, unknown narrator. A reason that had to do with the sameness of each and every week. She was bored with simply being straight A's Claudia Kincaid. She was tired of arguing about whose turn it was to choose the Sunday night, 7.30 television show of injustice and of the monotony of everything. Good vocab word there, monotony, which means boredom. I bet you this, you can relate to this. How does every day is often the same day after day, week after week, and she wants some excitement. So that's why she's running away partially. But she also is running away because of the injustice. She feels that just things aren't fair, like having to set the table and do the dishes. God forbid. But she's right. Other people should do it every once in a while, too. The fact that her allowance was so small that it took her more than three weeks of skipping hot fudge Sundays to save for enough train fare was another example of injustice. Since you always drive to the city, Saxonburg, you probably don't know the cost of train fare. I'll tell you. Full fare, one way, costs $1.60. Now, hold on a second, listener. Hold on a second, listener. Another clue there. That this is Miss Basil Frank Weiler because she refers once again to Saxonberg, the lawyer. But remember, this is 1967 that this book was written. So a dollar sixty, a dollar and sixty cents might not seem like much to you, but back in the day, 1967, it was a little bit more uh, expensive for a dollar sixty-seven. But what is this? She's having hot fudge Sunday every week. That doesn't seem very unjust to me. I would love to have a hot fudge sundae every week. If you looked at me, you'd probably be able to think maybe he is having more than one hot fudge sundae every week. But anyway, I'll keep going. Uh, Claudia and Jamie could each travel for half of that since she was one month under 12 and Jamie was well under 12, being only nine. Since she intended to return home after everyone had learned a lesson in Claudia's appreciation, She had to save money for her return trip too which was like full fare one way claudia knew that hundreds of people who lived in her town worked in offices in new york city and could afford to pay full fare both ways every day like her father after all greenwich was considered an actual suburb of new york a commuting suburb even though claudia knew that new york city was not far away certainly not far enough to go considering the size and number of the injustices done to her, she knew that it was a good place to get lost. Her mother's mahjong club ladies called it the city. Mahjong is a game people play with little tiles. Most of them never ventured there. It was exhausting, and it made them nervous. When she was in the fourth grade, Her class had gone on a trip to visit historical places in Manhattan. Jonathan Richter's mother hadn't let him go for fear he'd get separated from the group and all the jostling that goes on in New York. Mrs. Richter, who was something of a character, had said that she was certain that he would, quote, "...come home lost." Come home lost. That's an interesting phrase. And she considered the air very bad for him to breathe. Claudia loved the city because it was elegant. It was important and busy. The best place in the world to hide. She studied maps in the tour guide book of the American Automobile Association and reviewed every field trip her class had ever taken. She made a specialized geography course for herself. There were even some pamphlets about the museum around the house, which she quietly researched. Claudia also decided that she must get accustomed to giving up things. Learning to do without hot fudge Sundays was good practice for her. She made do with the good humor bars her mother always kept in the freezer. All right, so she's giving up hot fudge Sundays, but not entirely giving up ice cream. She's still eating ice cream bars. Naturally, Claudia's hot fudge expenses were 40 cents per week. Before her decision to run away, deciding what to do with the 10 cents left over from her allowance had been the biggest adventure she had had each week. Sometimes she didn't even have 10 cents for she lost a nickel every time she broke out, broke one of the household rules, like forgetting to make her bed in the morning. It's a strict house. She loses allowance for not making her bed. Wow. She was certain that her allowance was the smallest in her class. I guess that's another injustice, huh? And most of the other sixth graders never lost part of their pay since they had full-time maids to do their chores, instead of a cleaning lady only twice a week. Claudia is coming across as uh, a bit snobby, if I may say so. So she goes to a school where there are full, or the students have full-time maids at home. Meanwhile, She only has a cleaning lady once or twice a week. I would love for her to see how most people live, which is no cleaning ladies, no days per week. Once after she had started saving, the drugstore had a special hot fudge, 27 cents, the sign in the window said. She bought one. It would postpone her running away only 27 cents worth. Besides, once she made up her mind to go, she enjoyed the planning almost as much as she enjoyed spending money. Planning long and well was one of her special talents. Jamie, the chosen brother, didn't even care for hot fudge Sundays, although he could have bought one at least every other week. A year and a half before, Jamie had made a big purchase. He had spent his birthday money and part of his Christmas money on a transistor radio made in Japan purchased from Woolworths. Occasionally, he bought a battery for it, They would probably need the radio. That made another good reason for choosing Jamie. Why would they need a radio for running away? A transistor radio was like, you know, a regular radio. You could probably communicate with others on it. So perhaps that's why. Uh, Maybe like a, a radio like you might see a trucker have in his truck where they're talking to each other. So that could be why she wants him to bring the radio so she can communicate with someone. On Saturdays, Claudia emptied the wastebaskets, a task she despised. There were so many of them. Everyone in her family had his own bedroom and wastebasket, except her mother and father, who shared both with each other. Almost every Saturday, Steve emptied his pencil sharpener into his. She knew he made his basket messy on purpose. Steve must be one of Claudia's other brothers. One Saturday, as she was carrying the basket from her parents' room, she jiggled it a little so that the contents would sift down and not spill out as she walked. Their basket was always so full since there were two of them using it. She managed to shift a shallow layer of Kleenex, which her mother had used for blotting lipstick, and thus exposed the corner of a red ticket. Using the tips of her forefinger and thumb like a pair of forceps, she pulled at it and discovered a 10-ride pass for the New York, New Haven, and Hartford Railroad. Used train passes normally do not appear in suburban wastebaskets. They appear in the pockets of train conductors. Nine rides on a pass are marked off in little squares along the bottom edge, and they are punched one at a time as they are used. For the 10th ride, the conductor collects the pass. Their cleaning lady, who would come on Friday, must have thought that the pass was all used up since rides one through nine were already punched. The cleaning lady never went to New York and Claudia's dad never kept close track of his pocket change or his train passes. Both she and Jamie could travel on the leftover pass since two half fares equal one whole. Now they could board the train without having to purchase tickets. They would avoid the station master and any stupid questions he might ask. What a find. From a litter of lipstick kisses, Claudia had plucked a free ride. She regarded it as an invitation. They would leave on Wednesday. So it's like the world is giving her this gift. It's a a signal. It's a sign that she found this ticket with one train ride left. And so now she's like, well, now I gotta go. If I had any doubts... Clearly, this is the universe telling me to go. Or it could just be a coincidence. On Monday afternoon, Claudia told Jamie at the school bus stop that she wanted him to sit with her because she had something important to tell him. Usually, the four Kincaid children neither waited for each other nor walked together, except for Kevin, who was somebody's charge each week. School had begun on the Wednesday after Labor Day. Therefore, their fiscal week and fiscal means financial, money, as Claudia chose to call it, began always on Wednesday. Kevin was only six, and in the first grade, and was made much over by everyone, especially by Mrs. Kincaid, Claudia thought. Claudia also thought that he was terribly babied and impossibly spoiled. You would think that her parents would know something about raising children by the time Kevin, their fourth, came along, but her parents hadn't learned. She couldn't remember being anyone's charge when she was in first grade. Her mother had simply met her at the bus stop every day. Claudia is pretty jealous of her siblings. And this last sentence is pretty funny because she was one of the oldest, right? So how could she have been somebody's charge? Jamie wanted to sit with his buddy, Bruce. Have you ever met a boy named Bruce these days? It's not a very common name for boys. They played cards on the bus each day, meant a continuation of the day before. The game was nothing very complicated, Saxonberg. nothing terribly refined. They played War, that simple game where each player puts down a card and the higher card takes both. If the cards are the same, there's a War, which involves putting down more cards. Winner then takes all the War cards. Every night, when Bruce got off at his stop, he'd take his stack of cards home with him. Jamie would do the same. They always took a vow not to shuffle. At the stop before Bruce's house, they would stop playing, wrap a rubber band around each pile, hold the stack under each other's chin, and spit on each other's deck, saying, Thou shalt not shuffle. That's kind of gross. Then each tapped his deck and put it in his pocket. Claudia found the whole procedure disgusting. Yeah, no kidding. So she suffered no feelings of guilt when she pulled Jamie away from his precious game. Jamie was mad, though. He was in no mood to listen to Claudia. He sat slumped in his seat with his lips pooched out and his eyebrows pulled down on top of his eyes. He looked like a miniature, clean-shaven Neanderthal man, which is like a caveman. Claudia didn't say anything. She waited for him to cool off. Jamie spoke first. Gosh, Claude, why don't you pick on Steve? Claudia answered. I thought, Jamie, that you'd see that it's obvious I don't want Steve. Well, Jamie pleaded, want him, want him. Claudia had planned her speech. I want you, Jamie, for the greatest adventure in our lives. Jamie muttered. Well, I wouldn't mind if you'd pick on somebody else. Claudia looked out the window and didn't answer. Jamie said, as long as you've got me here, tell me. Claudia still said nothing and still looked out the window. She's playing a little bit hard to get, huh? Jamie became impatient. I said that as long as you've got me here, you may as well tell me. Claudia remained silent. Jamie erupted. What's the matter with you, Claude? First you bust up my card game, then you don't tell me. It's undecent. Not bust-up, indecent, not undecent, Claudia corrected. Oh, baloney, you know what I mean. Now tell me, he demanded. I've picked you to accompany me on the greatest adventure of our mutual lives, Claudia repeated. You said that, he clenched his teeth. Now tell me. I've decided to run away from home, and I've chosen you to accompany me. Why pick on me? Why not pick on Steve? He asked. Claudia sighed. I don't want Steve. Steve is one of the things in my life that I'm running away from. I want you. Despite himself, Jamie felt flattered. Flattery is as important a machine as the lever, isn't it, Saxonberg? Give it a proper place to rest and it can move the world. It moved Jamie. He stopped thinking, why pick on me? And started thinking i am chosen he sat up in his seat unzipped his jacket put one foot up on the seat placed his hands over his bent knee and said out of the corner of his mouth okay claude when do we bust out of here and how claudia stifled the urge that was weird how he said that let me try that again claudia stifled the urge to correct his grammar again on wednesday here's the plan listen carefully Jamie squinted his eyes and said, make it complicated, Claude. I like complications. Claudia laughed. It's got to be simple to work. We'll go on Wednesday because Wednesday is music lesson day. I'm taking my violin out of its case and I'm packing it full of clothes. You do the same with your trumpet case. Take as much clean underwear as possible and socks and at least one other shirt with you. All on a trumpet case? I should have taken up the bass fiddle. You can use some of the room in my case. Also, use your book bag. Take your transistor radio. Can I wear sneakers? Jamie asked. Claudia answered, of course. Wearing shoes all the time is one of the tyrannies you'll escape by coming with me. It is so cruel to wear shoes, isn't it? Jamie smiled, and Claudia knew that now was the correct time to ask. She almost managed to sound casual. And, uh, bring all your money. She cleared her throat. throat) By the way, how much money do you have? Jamie put his foot back down on the floor, looked out the window and said, why do you wanna know? For goodness sake, Jamie, if we're in this together, then we're together. I've got to know. How much do you have? Can I trust you not to talk? He asked. Claudia was getting mad. Did I ask you if I could trust you not to talk? She clamped her mouth shut and let out twin whiffs of air through her nostrils. Had she done it any harder or any louder, it would have been called a snot. Well, you see, Claude, Jamie whispered, I have quite a lot of money. Claudia thought that old Jamie would end up being a business tycoon someday, or at least a tax attorney like their grandfather. She said nothing to Jamie. Jamie continued, Claude, don't tell mom or dad but I gamble. I play those card games with Bruce for money. Every Friday we count our cards and he pays me. Two cents for every card I have more than he has and five cents for every ace. And I always have more cards than he has and at least one more ace. Claudia lost all patience. Tell me how much money you have, Four five, five. how much? Jamie nuzzled himself further into the corner of the bus and saying, $24.43. Claudia gasped, and Jamie, enjoying her reaction, added, hang around until Friday, and I'll make it 25 even. How can you do that? Your allowance is only 25 cents. Twenty-four forty-three 25 cents makes only $24.68. Details never escaped Claudia. I'll win the rest from Bruce. Come on now, James. How can you know on Monday that you'll win on Friday? I just know that I will, he answered. How do you know? I'll never tell. He looked straight at Claudia to see her reaction. She looked puzzled. He smiled and so did she, for she then felt more certain than ever that she had chosen the correct brother for a partner in escape. They complimented each other perfectly she was cautious about everything but money and poor. He was adventurous about everything but money and rich. More than $24, that would be quite a nice boodle. Boodle, never heard it used. Never heard that word used. That would be quite a nice boodle to put in their knapsacks if they were using knapsacks instead of instrument cases. She already had $4.18. They would escape in comfort. Jamie waited while she thought. Well, what do you say? Want to wait until Friday? Claudia hesitated only a minute more before deciding, no, we have to go on Wednesday. I'll write you full details of my plan. You must show the plan to no one. Memorize all the details, then destroy my note. Do I have to eat it? Jamie asked. Tearing it up and putting it in the trash would be much simpler. No one in our family but me ever goes through the trash, and I only do it if it is not sloppy and not full of pencil sharpener shavings or ashes. I'll eat it. I like complications, Jamie said. You must also like wood pulp, Claudia said. That's what paper is made of, you know. I know, I know, Jamie answered. They spoke no more until they got off the bus at their stop. Steve got off the bus after Jamie and Claudia. Steve yelled, Claude, Claude, it's your turn to take Kevin. I'll tell mom if you forget. Claudia, who had been walking up ahead with Jamie, stopped short, ran back, grabbed Kevin's hand, and started retracing her steps, pulling him along to the side and slightly behind. I want to walk with Stevie, Kevin cried. That would be just fine with me, Kevin Brat, Claudia answered, but today you happen to be my responsibility. Whose responsibility am I next? He asked. Wednesday starts Steve's turn, Claudia answered. I wish it could be Steve's turn every week, Kevin whined. You just may get your wish. Kevin never realized then or ever that he had been given a clue, and he pouted all the way home. It is now time for the 3-2-1 section of the show. Three things I like, two questions I have, one thing I learned from what I just read. Let's share three things that I liked. I like the letter at the beginning. I like reading something and then having the questions that it brings up filled in as I go. I'll be able to go back to that letter at the beginning of the book when the book is over and say, oh, that's what I mean. It almost makes it like a treasure hunt in a way to be able to fill in those blanks. And then when I read it a second time, if I decide to read it a second time, I'll know exactly what it's talking about. Sort of creating a puzzle at the beginning. A second thing I like is the name of this Mrs. Basil E. Frankweiler. Who is she? What does she want with these children? That's the second thing that I like. And the third thing that I like about this book is I like the relationship between Claudia and Jamie. She's a bit of a bratty older sister, and he is a bit of a bratty younger brother. And uh, right now, it seems like they're already having some trouble getting along. So once they start to run away, and you know that's not an easy thing to do, I would imagine, even if she has planned everything out, I'm sure there's going to be more comedy and adventures because of their relationship. So those are three of the things that I like from this first chapter. Two questions that pop to mind from that first chapter. I already mentioned one of them, uh, but I'll I'll do another one instead. The first question is, okay, so they're going to go to this Metropolitan Museum of Art, and then what? That doesn't seem like it's enough of, you know, an adventure to uh, to warrant an entire book. So either something's going to happen along the way or going to the Metropolitan Museum of Art is going to cause something else to happen. But by itself, what is going to be a story from just running away to the Metropolitan Museum of Art? Um, I'm interested in finding out more. And getting back to the title, what are these mixed-up files? Who is Mrs. Basil E. Frankweiler? When I picked up the book the first time I read it, I thought, well, maybe she's a teacher of Claudia. Uh, but it doesn't really seem that way at first, does it? And I want to find out how she factors into the story and what is her real name. Because Mrs. Basil E. Frankweiler Back in the day, in the olden days, you might refer to a woman by her husband's name. So you got the misses to show that it is the man's wife. But Mrs. Basil E. Frankweiler, Basil E. Frankweiler is a man's name, Basil, uh, usually. Um, so what is her real name and what are these files? So those are the two questions I have. And for the one thing I learned about writing, in this case, from that first chapter of The Mixed Up Files, Mrs. Basil Lee Frankweiler, it is you can do different kinds of writing within one novel. Remember, the story starts in the form of a letter. I know that you can't see it, but if you were reading along in the book, it would look like a letter. In case you folks don't know what a letter is, That was when, once upon a time, you would write to someone by hand. Yes, with a pen, perhaps. Uh, You might better know that as an email, but even emails are not really like letters. Letters are very personal, uh, and you know you don't see them too much anymore. I love getting a letter. Uh, It doesn't happen very often, but those are always very nice. So the book starts with a letter, and then it goes into what I would say is your typical novel format, you know, with paragraphs and prose writing, as we English teachers call it. So don't be afraid to sort of change up the style sometimes, because it can be very interesting to the reader and can make it a little bit more exciting uh, when it's a mix of different writing formats. Give it a try sometime. you know what that means it is time for us to say adieu until the next episode of from the top the book once again is called from the mixed up files of mrs basil e frankweiler and in case you're curious how to spell frankweiler it's frank then w-e-i-l-e-r it's by E L. Honigsberg. These are not easy names, but they're fun to say, certainly. And uh, grab yourself a copy of this book. I guarantee you'll love it. And if you don't love it, well, I don't have like any money back or anything like that. But but I just guarantee that you'll like it. I mean, like it's just obvious. If you would like to send me an email with a question, comment, or book recommendation, do it. The email address is fromthetopbookcast@gmail.com, at gmail.com. And I would love it if you could subscribe to this podcast so you're notified when the latest episode becomes available. While you're at it, write up a quick five-star review. Maybe your English teacher will give you credit for that, for writing a review. Uh, it helps a great amount. So thank you for doing that. And until next time... My name is Jake Lewis. I'll see you once again from the top.